Tears are a rather odd thing. Of course, tears come probably most often at times of sadness or times of upsetness, maybe at the funerals of the people who we think about today who have passed on before us, who have fallen asleep in Christ. You saw lots of tears, lots of crying. But tears also come sometimes when people are Overjoyed whenever a baby is born or when people are relieved that something hard is finally over, people will cry. And sometimes even we laugh until we cry. Sometimes people cry after a great achievement, after they maybe they ran a marathon or accomplished some great goal, won a gold medal. People will cry. All sorts of reasons that people cry. All sorts of reasons that tears are shed. But I think in one sense, even the good tears, even the tears of being overjoyed, even the tears of relief, even the tears of laughter, the tears of achievement, even those tears come, maybe, I'm not sure about this, but maybe from the corruption of sin. Let me explain. If you think about, for instance, when a baby is born and people cry, it's not just that new life has come into the world and they are overjoyed. That is a wonderful thing. But it is also because they know that that baby is going to have to live in this world corrupted by sin. And that baby will be tempted and that baby will be persecuted and that baby will go through many hard things when they are no longer a baby. And one day that baby will not be a baby anymore. There's a life ahead that will be filled with other kinds of tears. Or when we laugh until we cry even, maybe perhaps part of it is physiological, but then part of it is because it is a rare thing that we laugh that hard. And so much of life is not laughing. So much of life is the opposite of laughter. It's the suffering and the pain and the hardship. Or when someone has achieved something great, say they just ran a marathon sub three hours or something like that, and they start to cry, part of it is the achievement, but part of it is the pain that they had to go through to get there. And so even good tears, I think, for the most part, are somehow still connected to the corruption of sin. We'll come back to that later. When the elder tells John, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, I want you to think about John's context. John has this vision of the saints in heaven who are with Christ and are praising the Lamb. But he's still on earth. He's still on the island of Patmos. And if you don't know this about John, he is the only one of the apostles not to be martyred. His context is a context of great and terrible persecution. The Emperor Nero has been killing and murdering countless Christians, including, by the way, many of those who were John's friends. 
the other apostles that we know of, and also, I imagine, maybe some of his own congregation members, some of those who he evangelized to, lots of fellow Christians that he knew, maybe he met them at Pentecost. And now he has a vision of them, not there on earth with him, but in heaven. And I bet he cried. Maybe he didn't cry when he was having the vision, but I bet he cried when his friends were martyred. When he saw the other apostles being hung on crosses or burned at the stake, I bet he cried. And I bet he saw their families cry, too, watching the same things happen. And I bet he can also remember when they cried together tears of joy. I bet he remembers also the people that he's seeing there in heaven when he cried with them tears of laughter. And maybe John did cry after he had that vision because he remembered those saints who had passed before. He remembered his friends. And he saw there them triumphant. That's what we call the saints who are in heaven with Christ, in paradise, in their souls now. The church triumphant. The ones who have gone through the war and are now at perfect rest. As the hymn said, when warriors cometh rest, when arms again are strong. These are the people who we will name some of them later. Ken and David and Paul and David. These are the ones who are triumphant. Who are with Christ in paradise, singing the praises of the Lamb on his throne with the angels now. And when we see that church triumphant, when we see with John his vision, his vision in some ways of tears, but his vision of joy nonetheless, we can also think about the other side of the invisible church. We have the church triumphant there in heaven. We can think about the other side of that too, where you are today, where I am today, the church militant. And there is a way in which we are tied together with them. For together we are, as I said, the invisible church. So sometimes we make this distinction between the visible church and the invisible church. The visible church is that church which we can see, this building that we're gathered in together today, a manifestation of that which is visible. But the true church, the real church, is invisible. The real sheep who hear their shepherd's voice and respond to what he says in faith, that is the invisible church. And that church is not limited to time or to space. And so both those saints that are in heaven now, both those saints that are singing the praises, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb, and us here today, you here today, those who have gone before us and those who are here now and those who will come after us who have faith, all tied together the invisible church. And in a way, that is what Paul sees in his vision. He sees the fullness of the church together. 
It's kind of an odd vision in that maybe it's a vision that includes the saints that he already knows are there, the ones that have already been martyred. The Old Testament saints as well, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the rest. But maybe he also sees the saints to come. For there is a fullness that is pictured here. That's why we read all those numbers, 144,000 sealed, 12,000 from every single of the 12 tribes of Israel sealed. And that 144,000, that 12 times 12 times 1,000, that is a number of fullness and completeness. 12 is the number of completeness in the Bible. It's the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. There has to be 12. And so 12 times 12, the Old Testament, times the New Testament, times a thousand, completion, perfection, multitude. It's a fullness. The whole invisible church there in heaven. And also notice the future tense that the elder uses when he talks to John about what will happen to the saints who come to paradise. He says, they will hunger no more. They will not thirst anymore. The sun will not strike them and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Why does he use the future tense if it's a present tense vision? I think he uses the future tense because when John proclaims this vision and when we preach this vision and when we read this vision in the book of Revelation, he wants you who are here now to think about yourself in this future. He wants you to think about yourself not being hungry or thirsty anymore, the sun not striking you anymore, and your tears being wiped away. And so when we see that church triumphant in this vision, we can think about them and we should think about them. But we can also think about ourselves. Remember what the prayer said, that we should follow the church triumphant in all good, godly and virtuous living that we may follow in their steps to heaven. And so let's look at some of these details that are included here about that church triumphant. The first thing is that they're wearing white robes. And as we find out later on, the white robes that have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now we wear white robes sometimes in church as we are today, as I am today, at least, to show that Christ washes us. And how does he wash us? This is just an example of what is to come. He washes us when he baptizes us. And he has baptized you. He has washed away your sins. He has washed your sins in his blood. And that is a reality for you now. It's a reality for you now. And that is wonderful. And you remember that reality whenever you wash your face with water and the water reminds you of the baptismal waters. You remember that reality now that you are cleansed, that you are forgiven. Whenever you make the sign of the cross in the liturgy, you remember 
that baptism now. But you still have to put on clothes every day. And they're not white robes, at least not most days. Sometimes on Sunday I wear them. But most of the time I have to put on black clothes and other color of clothes. And I have to wash them and I have to shower myself. But the saints in heaven don't have to do that. They are permanently washed. They have white robes that they don't have to change. They're permanently clean all the time. No more laundry. If that's the suffering that you experience on this earth, no more laundry to be folded. At least that, but so much more than that. White robes showing that they are baptized completely. Baptism brought to its full fruition, never to have to drown the old Adam again in those baptismal waters, never to have to daily repent and turn back to Christ, for they are with Christ. And they have palm branches in their hands. And the palm branches remind you of what? They remind you of when Jesus came into Jerusalem and the saints there were laying down their robes and they were waving their palm branches and they were saying, Hosanna, which means save us, please save us now. They were crying out for salvation to God. And we sing that, too. We sing that in our liturgy every week. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Save us now. Save us now. Save us, please. Oh, God. Because when you're on this earth and you have palm branches to sing out to God, those palm branches mean that you still need salvation. You still need to be reminded of who you are in Christ. But what do the saints with the palm branches in heaven say? They say salvation belongs to our God. They don't have to say Hosanna anymore. They don't have to say save us please anymore because they can see, they can hold, they are there in the salvation. And then the elders, the four angels, who if you go back a couple chapters in Revelation 5 were leading the worship, but now the saints are leading the worship and the elders, the angels, they join in. They say, Amen. This is true. Salvation belongs to our God. And we know what that salvation looks like. It looks like this. The blessing and the honor and the glory and the wisdom and the thanksgiving and the power and the might. That is our salvation. And they are there in the midst of it. And we sing about those things. We pray about those things. Constantly, we have to be blessed. The Lord bless you and keep you. Constantly, we think and have to dwell on God's glory. How he is present among his people and we have to remind ourselves of that. We have to pray for wisdom that we would have the knowledge and the wisdom and the discernment to live the lives that God would want us to live here on earth. We are called to give thanksgiving to our God. As we think about what he's done for us, we honor our God and our worship and our life and our prayer. And we recognize his power and we recognize his might. But sometimes those things, all of those things still seem kind of far away, don't they? When you're driving around and you're on 240 and the people are honking 
and you get on Sam Cooper Boulevard and you get stuck in traffic for 15 minutes and you get a little bit upset because there's the people that are just driving by on the, on the, on the curb, just passing you, not following the rules. Not that I'm speaking from personal experience here, like this didn't happen to me yesterday. It's hard to see in those moments God's glory, God's might, and give him the thanksgiving and the honor and the blessing. It's hard to remember those things, but it's not hard for the saints. The saints in heaven, they help remind us of these things because they are experiencing it in themselves right there, right now. They are in his blessing, being blessed by him. They are in his glory, surrounded by the angels. They have his wisdom right there in their robes, with their palm branches, giving him thanks, giving him honor, seeing his power and his might. They're seeing how God is with his people even on 240. And it's amazing. And so the angels say, amen, amen, amen. This is true. And so when we see those things, we should remember those things. And we should remember that we follow the saints. We will be there too with those things. All of the invisible church has the same gifts. But the elder goes on, he does go on to contrast what the difference is between the church triumphant and the church militant. And he says the difference between the church triumphant and the church militant is this. The church militant still hungers and thirsts. And what do you hunger and thirst for? You can go to the Beatitudes to learn this from Matthew 5 that we read earlier. We hunger and thirst for righteousness as we wait for heaven. That is to say that we still struggle with sin here on this side of heaven. And we hunger and thirst and we have to remember and we have to be reminded that we are saved. We have to be reminded and we have to receive even now the forgiveness of sins. We still in this way need the Lord's Supper week in and week out to forgive our sins and to strengthen our faith. That's what we're hungering and thirsting for. But the saints above, the triumphant, they no longer hunger and thirst. For they have been satisfied, as the Beatitudes say, because they're at the wedding feast of the Lamb, which has no end. They cannot hunger or thirst anymore. And then there is the scorching heat, the sun that strikes. And that is the suffering that we experience here. And you can think of it, the image that he gives here is that the sun has struck you. It's like you got a sunburn that just won't go away. And if you know that kind of stinging feeling of a sunburn, maybe the day after and you're trying to put on your shirt and it just stings and you kind of got to lay there putting on aloe vera gel and just hoping that it goes away. That's what this life is like. Whatever suffering you may have, maybe it's sicknesses, maybe it's being treated unjustly, maybe it's financial troubles, 
Maybe it's health troubles. Maybe it's relationships that are filled with abuse and envy and anger. Maybe it's governments that love war and despise peace. The sun is striking. The sun is scorching. And it sucks, to be honest. Life is hard because we're corrupted by sin. And that's the difference between us and the church triumphant, is the sun no longer strikes them. They are in the sun, the perfect sun, but it does not burn them. They are in the sun, the perfect sun, and it does not strike them. And the final thing that distinguishes us between the triumphant and the militant, that brings us back to tears. Now it may be that when the elder says to John, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, he's being hyperbolic. And that he's really only going to wipe away the tears of sadness and the tears of being upset and the tears of suffering. But as a thought experiment, I like to think that maybe the elder is being very literal there when he says he will wipe away every tear. That maybe he will also wipe away the tears of laughter and the tears of joy and the tears of achievement. And not because we won't have joy and laughter and achievement in heaven, but because of the things that we could contrast to those, that that will be all gone. That there will be no rarity to laughter. And so we will not have to laugh until we cry because we will just be laughing almost constantly in a perfect laughter. That we will not have to cry over joy because we will be so perfectly overjoyed all the time that there will be no pain and suffering to contrast it to. That we will not have to cry at achievement because we will have achieved the crown of eternal life and there is nothing more to achieve. It is absolute and utter perfection beyond our wildest imaginations. And so I don't know exactly what the elder means when he says God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. But we can say with the angels, amen, this is true. God will wipe away every tear from your eyes when you have come out of the great tribulation and he has wiped away the tears of those who have already come out of the great tribulation who you know and love. And so we sing with them today to that God belongs all salvation, blessing and honor and glory and might and thanksgiving To him be the glory and the wisdom, now and forever. Amen.